Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Soho Radio Podcast, showcasing some of the best broadcasts from our online radio station, right from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixcloud page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. Hello and welcome. I'm Kate Sevilla filling in for Sally Hughes, who sadly is not here this month. So I'm very sorry you're going to have to deal uh, with me, but not to fear. I have three wonderful guests. Um, first up, I have broadcaster and writer Katie Puckrick. Hello. Katie. Welcome back. Thank you. Always good to be here. Yeah, we love you here. Oh, thanks. Also, we have author, journalist, and podcaster Daisy Buchanan. Hello there. Thank you for having me. Also, welcome back. And also we have Caroline O'Donoghue, award-winning podcaster. As, a, as of about an hour and a half ago, award-winning <laughs> yes. podcaster. Yes, and delighted to be here. And writer and journalist. Basically, we have very talented ladies here today. Um, our first song was from the Dixie Chicks, which might be the only time Dixie Chicks has been played on this show. Um, that's their song Gaslighter, their first new single in about 14 years. Are you guys wow, Dixie Chicks? Yeah. Do you guys are familiar? Do you love? Um, I, do you know what? I love the documentary about them more than yes. I love their music. Fair. <laughs> you know, like, as in I like country enough, but just that whole, the whole story, the whole arc, the whole George Bush thing yeah. makes them so compelling to me. It's so good. I think the documentary is called Shut Up and Sing. Yes. And it's about when they, uh, I mean, the show isn't about the Dixie Chicks, but let's just take a moment and talk about them. <laughs> um, I think it was, oh God, a long time ago, maybe almost nearly 20 years ago maybe even more than that, when they said, I think in London, at a show that they were ashamed that uh, George Bush, the president at that yeah. time, uh, was from Texas. And, and uh, this was, in the context, was it was because of the Iraq War. Yes. And he'd taken basically the whole world into he, Iraq. Into war. So this must have been uh, 2003, 2002? Yeah, thereabouts. Um, and their career uh, really kind of took a dive after that. It, because it ended of, their career, really, for a long yeah, time. Yeah, for a while, yeah. Sad stuff. But anyway... We're, I mean, we're not exactly going to talk about something more uplifting now. Um, but yeah, we're, we're in a studio today. We're sitting very far apart from each other. We have hand sanitizer. We're being conscious of how close our lips are to these mics. Uh, coronavirus. Um, what, what are you guys feeling? Because at, at the moment, I feel like every day we wake up and it gets more and more intense. I think the latest numbers um, in Europe, it's just continuing to rise. There's more than 10,000 cases in Italy. And I think, has the whole country been shut down now from travel? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, a UK health minister, Nadine Dorries, is among 382 cases in Britain, an uplifting figure. And it's affecting the economy as well. I think it was announced today that they're uh, cutting the interest rate. I don't care about the numbers necessarily. <laughs> But they're cutting the interest rate to kind of offset uh, their kind of effort to kind of recover from this. Yeah, but if you're in the toilet roll industry, that is just printing money, baby. (laughs) If you're Cushel, you're Purell, anything with an L at the end that has to do with uh, wiping your ass or having a headache, you're in, you know, 
Yeah. I have to say, um, I, um, my technique to deal with coronavirus, COVID-19, is to ignore everything. Um, <laughs> I, I guess I'm a little Trumpy in that way. Um, Trump thinks it's going to go away in April because the sun will come out. So sure. I, That's I, how everything gets fixed. That's how I, so I'm, I'm doing that. That's kind of my whole technique for even like for my to-do list. Just ignore it, ignore it, ignore it until I'm in debtor's prison or uh, it just ceases to be- become relevant. But I will just say I the thing that did make me uh, perk up my ears was this whole concern about toilet paper and, and panic buying of toilet paper <laughs> because I wasn't aware that the disease had anything to do with uh, gastrointestinal distress and yeah, diarrhea. It doesn't. Sure it doesn't. doesn't. Yeah. No, that's so, just people being afraid of being stuck in their house. And it's what's like, the most important thing? Oh, yes, wiping thine ass. I so. love I love how it's sort of a metaphor for our, our, our world, isn't it? Like that, like yeah. when worse comes to worse, that it's not like circle the wagons or what about our children's education or where will, will fresh vegetables come from next? It's like what about my bum? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like people are panic buying toilet paper, Nurofen, um, pasta. And I thought that Sex people, toys? Um, probably not, which no. is foolish, really. Right. We, that's what we should You're all be doing. You're going to be confined for a while. I know. Yeah. I mean, you have to think strategically. You really do. Um, I think people are even stockpiling pasta, which, I mean, fine. That makes sense to me. Does it? And Daisy's like, no. I'm not so sure. It's not because I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm more afraid of carbs than I am of coronavirus. Um, <laughs> but it, it, I, I just saw that Mr. Rogers film, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. If oh. I got that right, I want to add an itza that doesn't exist. And it was so much about, you know, confronting fears and this, I think, very individualistic, bitter, narrow-minded human tendency and to be open-hearted and forgiving and embracing of all people and the panic buying. I was like, I don't think Mr. Rogers would sign off on this. <laughs> I don't think this is very fair. Um, but weirdly, I don't, where I don't live in London and mm. I feel as though it's less kind of prevalent outside. I know we're on Soho Radio right now and, you know, we're in, this is a very London-centric space. Um, but I've seen, you know, like the, the poshest North London supermarkets are empty of pasta and bog roll. But um, it's weird how it's quite, it makes me think as well about it's about got to be really, you know, a bit bleak and boring. There are no jokes here. But, um, you know, if you've got the spare cash to panic buy, if you can, you know, get like a thousand packets of pasta without mm. thinking about it, you're probably you're making things extra difficult for people who can only buy a couple of packets at a time. Yeah, mm. exactly. Caroline, do you ever panic buy? How do you feel? No, not for me. I'm kind of, I'm the same as yourself. I sort of just plug my ears up and be like, la la, mm. I'll be fine. I will admit, um, I did probably the crassest thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> and it, felt, it made me feel so alive, um, which is I checked uh, holiday deals. In northern Italy. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> That's called, that is isn't called um, like crisis tourism or is there I, some yes, term for that? I danger think it tourism? is. Yes. And, and part of me was like, this is a dreadful thing for you to be doing, Caroline. And part of me was like, well, by July, June, shall it, will it have you know, blown over and will everyone actually be really grateful for people spending their money? <laughs> and, mm. you know, if you would like to stay at a, a four, star, uh, four star Waldorf in Rimini, you can do so for nine nights for £600 right now. Blimey. Wow. And that probably yeah. counts as like an adventure holiday, right? I will never ever do anything <laughs> intrepid risk. in my life yeah. but Italy in a lovely hotel beautiful that counts hotel. intrepid sign yeah. me that's up that's an activity holiday it's just staying alive <laughs> <laughs> really yeah I got an email I think from the train line yesterday that was like 
29 pound Eurostar tickets returned to France. And I'm just like, is that even responsible? Because it wasn't for like in August. It was mm. like for right now. And it's like, yeah. no, I don't. I really don't feel like you should be sending mm. that. I'm not feels- concerned about that. But I do sense from our chat that we had before we came on air that you are quite uh, hypervigilant about what's going on. Unlike me, who's just like <laughs> ignorant and probably part of the problem. So what are your <laughs> what are your for strategies? Because mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I love hand sanitizer anyway I have been obsessed with it for like the last 20 years I remember when I first moved here in 2006 there was only one brand of hand sanitizer that you could get and it was only from Superdrug things have obviously evolved and changed but I used to get made fun of because like when I worked at a different company like two years ago I would have a bottle of hand sanitizer like a pump and some hand lotion next to it and people would just rip the piss out of me because they're like all right calm down but now i'm like who's fucking laughing now y'all because like i i do think a lot about washing my hands using hand sanitizer i've actually found one it's alarming to me that people haven't fucking known how to like wash their hands or how important it is up until now especially men and also like it takes up a lot of mental energy. I think when I came home the other day, because right now I'm working in an office, it's a co-working space, it's a, a WeWork building, it's like eight floors, some of which have been evacuated. Um, hang on, hang yeah. on. Some of the floors. So, that my, my worries thoughts, me. Precisely. Evacuate the whole building, not Girl, just like three and six. Yeah, there's just, I, I don't know. My, my feeling is just like, uh, you don't need to be freakishly panicked about it. I think that there's uh, being conscious and making kind of informed decisions. And the, it's the idea of even if you're not feeling unwell yourself, think about the people who are pregnant or have small children mm-hmm. who have diseases that mean that their immune system has been lowered or care for their elderly parents or a sibling who that's their only person that they can take care of. And if they contract it, because you were just like, sure, I went to France last week, but, you know, I feel a little weird, but I, overall I'm fine. I'm not coughing. It's like, mm, I don't I don't really know if that's the best thing. So I don't know. I, I very much am like, wash your damn hands. Just be, yeah. be sensible. One of my favorite um, aspects of it that has been amusing me and taking the edge off the we're all going to die vibe is the, um, the reports of the homemade hand sanitizer. Oh, yes. And I think there was a guy in the time that he was selling it on eBay for was it 75 quid a bottle. And <laughs> in response to inquiries from the press, he said, my mate made it 75 quid. Do you want some or not? <laughs> yeah. Great. I mean, I'm not there yet. I think it's just like you have to have, is it just like aloe and like ethanol or something you know you were saying a, a couple of minutes ago about not being sure about dropping the prices on train journeys i think that's actually fine but i think what is terrible is doing things like you know charging 75 yes. pounds for your home craft project yeah and i did <laughs> i did questionable just, craft project question yeah questionable craft project and i did that just reminded me that there's a story i, I don't know if it's in china somewhere in the far east uh where there's they've now put a one year prison sentence if you're caught reselling toilet rolls at a at a at a premium so yeah so people are you know there is a little bit black market uh shenanigans going on yeah and i think i think that that that's that's what kind of annoys me but like before i was i wasn't like well you need to go get toilet paper like i'm not Mm -hmm. at that level of being worried about it but it, it does i don't know like when you just get like this constant stream of 
panic and mm. misinformation mm. and complete extremes in the approach of how we should be thinking about it, uh, like Trump versus how they're handling it in South Korea mm. versus how we're handling it here and in Italy. Uh, it, it just makes you kind of go, okay, well, how? I, I feel like we're like lacking an actual real source of proper info. I there must know. be yeah. a middle way. Yeah, right. I, th- I think it's being treated extremely irresponsibly yes. by the press. I've heard a little while there I had the um, Apple News notifications turned on my laptop and there was one notification I got. I was just in the middle of writing something and it said um, uh, morticians warned that they're going to run out of morgue space. <gasps> and I was like, that is not an alert that A, the public needs to mm. be wary of. No. Or like, it was even really sourced from anywhere. It was just sort of... Um, I would really like the coronavirus to be a sort of case study going forward towards some kind of media reform about how people report things. We talk about this all the time when suicide comes up, how we yes. report mm. suicide. And I'm um, like with Caroline Flack, they want to change the law around that. I think it's become so easy just to just chuck anything out there or like, here's how people in Greenwich or whatever are reacting to it. And it's feeding into this mass friendly that is not helpful. And it's also adding to this, I think, dark sense of enjoyment people are getting from it as well. I think particularly in London, I've noticed, the thing about London is that you're like, you're always a little bit in competition with the Blitz. (laughs) (laughs) And everyone sort of wants a Blitz in their lifetime, right? Everyone wants that thing of being in the Ritz and the ceiling tiles are falling off or whatever. Oh, do you remember the riots? I had so much ill-advised sex during the riots. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, Londoners love a bit of a... The thing is, they they, they treat an inside-out umbrella, a deadly disease, with the same amount of, oh, well, do you know what I mean? But they would prefer the latter so their panic could feel a bit more legitimate, you know? No, I don't know. Sure. I think that's just human nature. It makes us feel alive, right? <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Just having something to complain about or panic about. Um, but the I specter do... of death. Mm. Exactly. And this is the perfect storm of we get to panic, but also we get to stay indoors. It's everything we ever wanted. <laughs> it is. I know, but then people are really complaining about having to be... A... This is what I'm just kind of like, but you all... I don't know, if you've ever been a freelancer or worked for yourself or worked mm. from home, everyone fucking complaining about working from home. I'm like, oh, get a grip. <laughs> like, it's really not that hard. Like, I think those people, the people who are that scared the most are people with young children. Yeah, I mean, like, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. And I, there is yeah. a... There is a huge conversation around, okay, now companies are make that they were all like afraid of dying. They're making it easy for people to work from home when yeah. there are people with disabilities and people with children and other things to take into consideration. Right. Um, mental health issues mm. where they can't physically be in an office yesterday and they make it really, really fucking hard for them. Mm. So there is a huge conversation, I think, to be had about that. I think your kind of average person whinging on Twitter and kind of being like, oh, I don't know what to do. It's like, oh, okay. Well, you know, I, I don't know. People are quite snobby, I think, in the way that you work from home. I don't know. Mm, do you guys yeah. enjoy working from home? Um, well, I I enjoy working from home uh, as a concept, but when I am at home and uh, I'm finding it hard to motivate myself to hit that deadline or am starving for human interaction, yeah. um, I'm not exactly loving it what it's actually it's when i notice how uh, weepingly grateful i am when there is a bit of uh ad hoc conversation at with the guy manning the till at my <laughs> local tesco yeah. and i'm like oh I, I do have a connection with humanity <laughs> that's true i think i don't know i think it's a balance i i worked from home 
for the, uh, the last year. And then at the beginning of this year, I started doing three to four days a week um, at an office. And at first, I think the first like two weeks, I was like, dun, 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 there's a communal cookie jar. I'm talking to people. I'm sat in meetings and saying things and people are nodding. Oh, yes, I remember how this feels. It's a very Mary Tyler Moore. <laughs> yeah, I tossed my beret. I had really good banter with my best friend that sits next to me. Um, right. But... Uh, and then the kind of shine of it wears off. And I've realized that for me, actually working three to four days a week at an office, but crucially having that time at home is like the perfect balance. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't know. I think I think it I think it has to if you're in a time like this where it's kind of for your health and safety, you should work from home. Fine. Buck up, you know, make a standing desk on your kitchen with some like cooking books if you need to. But if we're looking at this kind of as a wider okay, what works best for people? I I think it's down to kind of each person to be able to find a balance and for the company that they work for to kind of help. Yeah, you've made a a great point. You were touching on it earlier as well about um, the fact that uh, government in America is saying people need to go get tested and they need to self-quarantine if they do test positive. Like, hi, tests cost money, although now they're looking at making it free. And if you self-quarantine... Uh, how you? There's no such thing as sick days, sick leave in America. So all of this stuff has the potential to revolutionize society. Yeah, no, for sure, it really does. Right, I'm gonna put on. I'm gonna put on some more tunes. Um, also, I think this might be the first time that Taylor Swift has been played on Sally's show. So I'm I'm sorry, Sally, if you don't approve. Um, uh, <laughs> this is the man from Taylor Swift. I'm so sick of running as fast as I can. Wondering if I'd get there quicker if I was a man You know that and I'm so sick of them coming at me again Coming at me again Cause if I was a man Welcome back. I'm Kate Sevilla filling in for Sally Hughes this month, and I am joined by my own Dixie Chicks. <laughs> hey, Hi. hey. Uh, Caroline O'Donoghue, Daisy Buchanan, and Katie Puckrick. Caroline, is this your first time on the show? It is, yes. Hey, yeah. welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, so we're going to stop talking about uh, coronavirus now. Um, everyone's very relieved. Um, I mean, we're not going to be talking about something that's um, super uplifting, but I think really uh, important to talk about. So I think it was about uh, two or three weeks ago now um, that Caroline Flack, uh, who's only 40 years old, um, sadly died by suicide. Um, and I think it's really opened up a conversation that I feel that we choose to have as a society when something like this happens, but I don't, I don't actually feel like that much ends up changing. So um, I don't really want to get into the detail of what was going on in Caroline's life because there's so much that we don't know. We know that she was going through a court case and a really seemingly difficult time um, in her personal life. Um, and one of the last things that uh, she put on Instagram was that quote, in a world where you can be anything be kind um and is it keith lemon i can never remember his name the comedian keith lemon i think it is celebrity juice man yeah yes so he has uh he's been selling a t-shirt with caroline's face on it that says be kind and i think in the in the days following uh her death people were sending um copies of matt Haig's book reasons to stay alive to other people which was wonderful um but i don't i don't know i i'm always kind of in two minds about this um be kind 
thing mm. because I think it really suits people mm. to say be kind. But I think most of the people who are kind of self-aware enough to say that and to kind of promote those feelings aren't necessarily the people that need to the, the reality check of being kind. I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, a, a certain um, very, very well-known morning breakfast television host man <laughs> was <laughs> promoting be? be kind. Some ham-faced, and yes. Oh. I thought, really? What, Piers really Morgan was doing this? Don't say his name, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, be kind to this ham-faced man. Does that make him appear man. in the mirror? <laughs> it does. <laughs> He's coming for us. Um, it's such a... I think the trouble is that what we're doing, and I think this happens so much when, and I think this sort of, you know, almost correlates a bit with, um, with Me Too, and I know probably come to that later, and, you know, the demonising of certain individuals, that we, rather than be kind is important, and of course I want that for all of us, and I think mm. we all need reminding, absolutely, but it doesn't address the fact that culturally bullying has become endemic, and you know, it's not mm. five baddies spreading evil, it's all of us, mm. we're all capable of being a little bit mean, yeah. um, a little bit snarky. Um, I think recently Greta Thunberg was speaking, I believe, in Bristol, and there was a a news story about that. And I think a newspaper outed the people who were coming up with the most horrific and violent abuse on social media. And one of these people who was doing that on Twitter to, you know, this teenage activist, their profile picture said, like, be kind. Oh, that's <laughs> so wow. funny. Wow. Wow, that's a good How all. can people not, not yeah. catch themselves? And I yeah. think as well, there's so much in the way, you know, the unsolicited advice that people want to give. And I think that the kindest thing we can do is sort of allow each other room to be human and to be fallible and not you know and we're so quick to say to other people this is how you should conduct yourself on the internet and I think mm. some of the people who are the first to do that are the ones who really ought to have a look at what they're doing yeah I think what's interesting too with those men that you were talking about who were trolling Greta um, I think it was a local newspaper maybe Bristol or something where they put up the pictures of men and of course it was a group of about mm, 10 white guys middle-aged white dudes um, and then which I thought was an interesting approach to uh, shaming people who have been um, bullying a 16-year-old girl. Mm. Um, but then I saw this counter-argument that was like, well, this isn't how we combat bullying by putting up the photos of people who yeah. have been abusing the 16-year-old girl. And I was like, yes, I don't know. Like, because the thing is, anyone who's been bullied at school, which I mean, that's everyone has been bullied at school, mm. right? No one will admit to bullying at school. Yeah. But... All you ever hear ever is just ignore them and they'll go away like demonstrably. That doesn't work. Right. And the thing is, it's not, you know, to bully someone is to say something baseless. If you say this person has said this about this person, that's rooted in fact. Like if you can't, if you know you can't stand by what you said and you know you should be ashamed, then maybe you should deal with the consequences of being having your picture in the paper does that make me sound like a horrible no, vigilante I, I feel quite relaxed about those gentlemen having their photo in the paper what they're not going to stand by what they said i mean and if they won't stand by what they said good they're having a little deep thought with themselves yeah it's an interesting one isn't it it makes me think a lot about um vulnerability and i think mm. i think people tend to pile on women in particular because they see 
like a veneer. Do you know what I mean? Like like a Jamelia or a Caroline Flack kind mm-hmm. of media women personalities. They see they're very beautiful. They're very groomed. They're very media ready because they have to be. Because if you show that kind of level of vulnerability as a public persona, yeah, you can be attacked easier. And and because they perceive a kind of layer of falseness, people feel very comfortable attacking them. Yes, like it's you their know? job. Like, well, we need to crack yeah, this yeah. shiny surface and show you what's really underneath. Because right? they're a horrible person underneath. There's yeah. always that thing of like, I, oh, this isn't what you see. Well, obviously, they're a celebrity. I think people expect that there's uh, plenty that goes on in these women's lives that we don't know about. It is really interesting to talk about, you know, women like, you know, Caroline Flack, who was, you know, so beautiful, and, you know, Jamila Mm. Jamil, you know, a goddess. But in the context of Greta Thunberg, and I think it's Sophie Wilkinson, um, the excellent journalist, I saw her talking on Twitter and saying she has a theory that... The reason so many middle-aged men are absolutely freaked out by Greta Thunberg is that they are the first teenage girl that they've ever seen who's not been kind of titivated for their creepy yeah. pleasure. Mm-hmm. You know, she's not so a Britney, true. she's not a Christina. Oh, I love that. That's that's very, right. I think that's spot on, that's actually. Yeah. analysis. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, mm. I think it was um, Jeremy Clarkson. I saw him on like Jonathan Ross or something um, talking about because I think Jonathan Ross asked him like, hey, I saw that you weren't too pleased about uh, Greta Thunberg and what she's been doing. Uh, why exactly? <laughs> and it was interesting to kind of see him like kind of squirm a bit and then just be like, oh, well, I planted a thousand trees or whatever. And so congratulations. Um, and then it was really interesting when they brought out Lena Dunham as another guest and he just sat there so uncomfortable. Oh, but anyway, anyway, enough about enough about Jeremy. Um, I feel like there's been a really interesting... I feel like every... I don't know if I'm just paying attention to it more. I mean, I paid attention to it anyway. It was like literally my job to pay attention to what the media was saying about which women on which day. Um, but I feel like An lately, interesting use of the word witch yeah. for women, which women. <laughs> little which double witch. entendre. Um, yes, exactly. Which witch. Um, but, I mean, between Jamila Jamil... So she came out as queer, which people were like, no, you're not. Because it's up for other people to Mm. tell you what your own uh, sexual orientation is. Um, And that she came out with saying that she had various different health problems. Um, I think she said that she had cancer a couple of times. And people just completely went for her, saying that she was lying about her own health history. And there was this horrible situation where this, this woman who used to be a journalist at BuzzFeed and Vice... Um, was kind of going through Jamelia's old tweets yes. looking for evidence and then eventually got DM'd by Jamelia who was feeling so harassed and then sold screen grabs of those DM's on her Patreon. What? So there's literally like a cottage industry <laughs> happening oh. out of this, you know? That's hideous. I didn't know that. Yeah. I, I can't remember the journalist's name. I don't think she needs any more coverage, really. No, I think <laughs> it's fine if we don't if we don't say her name. That's a really kind of... Fun. But it's so interesting, is you know, what what is driving it because we can all you know stand back and say ah oh, horrible mm. I, I will admit um and i am not proud of this i'm quite ashamed but there are definitely people out there where i would never ever dream of you know tweeting about this or making it publicly known but about conversations with other women i've had about certain people yeah like you know We've she all annoys had those conversations. Yeah. I don't know what yeah. it's all. It's human. It's within it is us all. Human. When do you mm. make that leap from yes. knowing something yeah. is the public? Because that you know often. I mean, you know, I I have been bullied. I have been a bully to my mm. shame. Not and you know often it's just not been conscious. It's been kind of a pile, or it's been you know like these awful kind yeah. of group chats. But mm. when do you? Oh, that's the other thing. Because I'm all these people. It's 
it's terrible, it's horrible, it's making the world much worse. But also, do they not have WhatsApp? Do they not have anyone they can privately yeah, go and yeah. say? Like a normal person I, does. I think it's this growing association that um, social media is um, a steam valve, right? It's like this. And I often treat it that way as someone who works from home. Is that I often just like, I have a kind of a errant thought that needs a home. I don't want to really text anyone because I don't want to get into a back and forth. But I just <laughs> want to just take this thought out, out of my head and put it somewhere. Yeah. I just want everyone to laugh and say, ha ha, that's very yes, funny. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I, want, I want praise. I want one way praise. I don't yes. want to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to hear what you think about what I, I think. Fair it's, enough. That's completely like hit me. I'm yeah. afraid. I just want a numerical value for my thought. <laughs> and um, But then people have sort of that same instinct, which I understand, but about, you know, some bitch they've seen off the telly kind of thing yeah. and they don't make the distinction. And then when they're called on it or they're like, why would you, why would you contribute to this woman's like yeah. pain so much they're like yeah. they, they don't understand they, they, when the conversation is like oh it was just me and the valve I'm, yeah. leave me have my valve and yeah. it's, you know I, there's a, a big uh, blend of toxicity that's uh, coming together in a delicious bouillabaisse I believe <laughs> um, so the first thing that we're talking about is just that human nature of you know enjoying just the kind of uh, validation of being group validation of like mm. we all share this mild hatred for somebody mm. who is a complete stranger to us. And it's kind of, it just sort of makes you feel approved of and part of a gang. So that's just one thing. But then we're going into this whole world of policing women and women policing women. And mm. that is when it's very ugly. So whether it's uh, uh, Jamila Jamil, not, you know, not basically being punished for uh, being loud and being yeah, um, daring to have an opinion, daring to have very, an opinion, very beautiful at the mm-hmm. same and time. And very, yeah. you know, it's like it's ticking way too many boxes. Yeah. Uh, whether it's Taylor Swift uh, being successful, being ambitious, um, and we're going to talk about this further. But yeah. um, there's definitely a lot of policing where you're just not, you know, y- you you need to, as a woman, show the proper amount of uh, um, self loathing. You know, yeah. and isn't it especially interesting with someone like Jamila Jamil who said, "Look, here is where I'm vulnerable. Here is where I struggle." And rather than try to understand and be empathetic, mm. the evil internet's response is, "No, you're not, yeah. liar." Got to mm. correct her. Got to police her. And I don't. I don't think. I well, okay. The world isn't Twitter, and I have to remind myself that a lot. Like, okay, public opinion is not necessarily what I see in the bubble that I've curated for myself. But I don't. I don't, um, uh, certainly on the same scale. Yes, people go, oh, Piers Morgan is, is such a twat. They, they they do that. So he's policed a bit, but not like really. He's not mm. like crucified in the press every single day for the things that he said. Yeah, he gets people. to have a nice job and a nice life. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. And it's like, it's not a. And also that's his brand mm. to be obnoxious. Yeah, that's so that's, You're allowed I to do, do that. Do you not him. believe a, that he believes a word of mm. what he says? I think mm. that it's like he's Jafar in a panto yes. and he turns yeah. up yes. five times a weekend for the matinees to get he's very get paid a nice to be as a villain. person. Mm. And but the thing is that it's irresponsible because he's whipping up this bullying mm. frenzy yeah. among people who don't see it that way or who want that outlet for hate um yeah i've been on gmb a few times and i stopped because the last time the abuse was just so grim you're very brave for doing that and and i you know when you just think this is not worth any you know yeah appearance fee and mm-hmm. you yeah. know no it isn't I, I and not in a oh i you know i'm a fragile lady who can't cope with these you know horrible no. but it's just like no this is and if i've you come to do that. a job and this is 
a lack is, of respect that, that, and I'm um, not going to tolerate. On social media afterwards or on the show itself? Um, on social media, after, mm. you know, you, sort, you feel like that's what you're getting paid for is to have the quote-unquote debate. But the, right. um, there's one teenage boy who sent me some really, really grim Instagram DM. You know how on Instagram, they've changed it now, thank yeah. goodness. It's got a bit better, but it used to be like, do you want to accept this message? But you still got to read it. Oh, so yes, yes. A, um, a kind friend... Um, tracked him down and so I rang up his school <laughs> and let them oh, know oh my nice god one. what did you say I said just and we did that sort of well we're not absolutely sure but we're just wondering we think this might have happened and they might be a student here and they had oh to be god. very sort of data protective and they could neither confirm or deny but I think they all got the message <laughs> right. you know like if it is him we may or may not have a word um <laughs> well that's I mean, good yeah. That, yeah, this is the you. sort of like detective work that I that I really enjoy, mm-hmm. but um, the I, privacy invasion that is for <laughs> for the good of mankind. Exactly, exactly, making the world a better place. Um, but I think this like line that you were talking about, Daisy. Like, where do we go from just having a, a bit of a a bitchy chat with our our mates, which is uh, healthy and which fine. is healthy and f- exactly. <laughs> I think this is the thing is that um, Daisy, you and I have talked a lot about envy, and and you've written a lot about envy as well. Um, I, women are not comfortable with having feelings of envy and mm. en- envy, hey, <laughs> envy about other women. We're just we're not given a language around it. We're not taught that it's okay. We're just kind of taught that okay, you just say oh they're just jealous and then you move on and mm. they, and we have to talk about internalized yes. misogyny and the fact that yeah. we 100%. have all grown up in this world where the places for us are so limited and we're like yeah. oh we we get to get with the hero at the end. We get to shoot a gun in the bikini and yeah. if someone else is shooting the gun in the bikini then oh that's not going to be us and we hate her. Yeah. And <laughs> you know it's really really hard. I the um comparison I always make is like I remember being a kid at school and Mm. having no idea about football and not really knowing football but the cool kids like football and the cool kids like Man U and the patriarchy is is Man U it's a system that rewards (laughs) you to sort of follow it and say yeah that's the team for me even when you know it's not against your it's not no it is against your best interests yeah I mean I was, go ahead Caroline oh sorry I was just wanted to say I was having a bitchy conversation with a dear friend of mine on whatsapp the other day it was really fruity Ooh, it can be really lovely, Ooh, juicy get in yeah and uh, yeah and we were talking about this this woman who we perceived to have the thing that we wanted yeah <laughs> And that's you and I deserve this more than she. <laughs> and um, and and what I said, well, we were kind of getting into it for a while, and then uh, I said to her, and I stand by it, which is like, our feelings are both a hundred percent valid and a hundred percent the opinions of dumb bitches, <laughs> <laughs> and they can be both. And yes. it's knowing that it's like knowing that you're being a dick and realizing the feelings behind. Okay, well, I don't like this person. Well, why don't I like this person? Yeah. Oh, because they're putting themselves out there and they're doing these things that I am not. And I feel envy about that. And it, it, it's complicated. It's complex. And it, it, rather than making ourselves feel bad for having those feelings, I think the key part is to go, I'm being a bit of a dumb bitch. And also <laughs> yeah. the, the reason why I feel this way is because they're doing a thing that I wish I was doing. And they, for whatever reason, maybe are braver or uh, aren't feeling quite as vulnerable as I am to be able to do this. And yeah. just going, that's okay. And having a bit of a bitch in a contained, safe environment. And that's and very healing. Yes. I don't know if it on Caroline the- can relate to this, but that's why I have a podcast. I was really, <laughs> really jealous of all of these amazing women I know with great podcasts. I'm like, remember, I know it was a Misha podcast. I'm like, I could, rather than sit with this rage, I could just 
and make a podcast. That's the point yeah. of podcasts that you can just go off and do it. And now I know it's really, really hard and you just spend so much time in admin hell. And I've talked to women with insanely successful podcasts. I'm very jealous. I'm like, yep, admin hell all the way. Sometimes I wonder if it's truly worth it. And it's a, it's a great level. So feeling jealous, if you want to say something really bitchy about someone, have a podcast instead. <laughs> Just do the thing that you're feeling quite envious of. Um, and I think there's this other side of it too, is that one, okay, dealing with the feelings of envy, keeping it in a contained environment, i.e. not on a shitty website where the whole purpose of it is just mm. to slag off other women behind you know a fake name or on twitter or social media in general and then there's the other side where like literally days you've written a book called the sisterhood there's this sort of i think false sense of you're about to cancel me <laughs> <laughs> yeah really here's what i really think about daisy buchanan um but this idea that we don't we don't have to like every other woman we truly don't and i think for some reason we're just like that's not okay for some reason. Just go, ah, oh, I don't really quite like her. And for that to be fine. Because women can absolutely be as terrible as men can. That yeah. is equal opportunities. Yeah. That is a world of, you know, every, it's just, I think, being really careful to, am I, is this coming from something that mm. this person is doing? Or would I say that about, um, about a guy? Um, I think this possibly leads us to Elizabeth Warren and politics, mm. but that might be Elizabeth one for later. Elizabeth Warren. We can talk about Elizabeth now. We don't need to save Elizabeth for later. Um, yeah, so sadly, God, has it already been a week? R.I.P., yeah. it's flown by. What has happened in that What week? has happened in the last week? A lot has happened, but particularly uh, Elizabeth Warren has pulled out of the U.S. presidential race. And arguably the most qualified candidate yeah. for the Democratic nominee for, for sure. president. For sure. Yep. I what are your feelings, her. Katie? Uh, well, my feelings are um, she had all the right stuff. She had all the stuff that we Americans said, you know, we Democrat Americans said that we wanted in our candidate, which was somebody with experience, somebody with a proven track record of being effective. My goodness, she started the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau before she was an elected official. Um, she's got the smarts. Uh, she's got the track record. Um, she's so reasonable and articulate and all of these things that our current dear leader is not in the United States of America. And uh, we liked her all the way up until it was time to vote for her. And then she was deemed unelectable which I would like to point to exhibit A, Donald J. Trump, and say, <laughs> if we've elected this uh, doofus, then, you know, the, all bets are off because anybody can be the president of the United States, literally anybody, anything. And I think we circle back to this idea of internalized misogyny where e even women were reportedly saying, well, you know, there was just something about her tone or her demeanor was a little... Uh, you know, maybe condescending or, you know, the fact that she's a, a Harvard law professor, you know, you're not the boss of me. You don't know more than me. Whereas mm. I'm thinking, my goodness, mm. look at this self-made woman who came from a very hard scrabble background in Oklahoma, you know, went to put herself through a community college, taught kids in a, a grade school. Like she didn't just pop out of the womb as an entitled Ivy League uh, college professor and uh she's everything that we want i think it in a candidate for president but somehow her assets were used against her 
I'm not sure if this theory holds up, but I think that not in every way at all, and obviously very different party, very different area, but I feel like in some ways Sarah Palin got an easier ride than she did for being feminine Mm. in a way that a certain kind of person needs someone to be feminine you know and sort of kind of non-threatening or less threatening for all her hunting gun-toting ways she just wasn't as good of a candidate i think that the she's relaxing as a stereotype for being kind of Mm. cute cheerleader beauty queen type who's like perky but not that bright that she wasn't going to get in the way of anyone doing anything they wanted to do and elizabeth warren was for sure mm-hmm. absolutely no it was the complicated feelings i have around elizabeth warren are that in that article um i think it was in the atlantic mm-hmm. that talked about the, her being basically punished for being so competent um and there was that line that you mentioned about people saying uh, that there was just something about her and i have to admit she wasn't my favorite candidate mm-hmm. But not because I thought that there was something just a bit off about her. I don't like I feel very uninformed <laughs> this this time around because I, I feel just kind of defeated in it. And I know this is not the way that we should be approaching it. And we should be mm-hmm. all fired up and super informed and going on marches mm-hmm. and voting, um, which I will vote. I always vote. But I don't I don't know. I, I feel conflicted because I'm like, oh, it would be amazing to have a woman president. But I just don't know how you go from Donald Trump to Elizabeth Warren. I don't feel like the country is ready. I feel like uh, the, I really do feel that because we followed uh, Barack Obama, who That's was true. perfection. <laughs> the pendulum can With Donald yes. Trump. I think this well, is Well, was like, he perfection, though? Yeah, he was. Oh. He, he, he was. <laughs> yeah. He's a drone for something to say. There you know what I mean? A, no, I think the white and white thing with Barack is a little bit dangerous. Do you not think? A little bit? Um, when you look, if you want to line up everybody who's ever been the president. Sure. You, you would say that he comes, he's probably like the pinnacle. Um, everyone makes mistakes. Um, but in terms of and also being the president is not like basically if you were totally a, a, a morally perfect person you probably couldn't do that job no, because so you either. have to cut some corners and do some bad deals but w- just to continue my point about going from Obama to Trump I just feel like that is the equivalent of your like uh you know, random mix on your, your iPod. Mm. And, and like, so in other words, you have to, you don't really have to think about segueing neatly and matching the beats per minute. So yeah, it I is know, going from saying. Moonlight Sonata to the thong song. <laughs> it really, it, that is beautifully put. It's beautifully beautifully put. Um, I yeah. think to Caroline's point, I think, I think Obama has seemed so much better in light of. I'm, what I'm not saying seen. he wasn't a great president. No, I no, think no, that but he was. I think you, he wasn't, I mean, not perfect. I don't think any of them yeah, are. I, I just, I don't know. I, I'm wary of any kind of nostalgia. I'm wary of the nostalgia that Trump promotes for some kind of like erstwhile 1950s time where men were men and mm. a million was still a million. Well, <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't really feel like I'm nostalgic. I just feel mm. like I'm comparing mm. like actualities, um, yeah, you know, and it's, and although it is true to say that I am nostalgic for a time where I didn't have to be like have this hypervigilant like tweak yeah. out every time there was a, a, a crazy tweet or a crazy comment from yeah. the president. Like I just want I just want dad to go off and or mom <laughs> to go off and do that job and not like let me know about the crazy, you know, the kookiness going on in their head. I'm That's interested on, as Americans, um, what you guys think of the remaining candidates. 
Oh man, I I was saying to Katie earlier, I was like, I'm not feeling inspired. Not feeling um, inspired. I don't think that uh, I don't. I just don't think Biden is the right choice. Mm. I don't think that he's inspiring enough. I don't think that he has been uh, enough of a, a proper ally to so many yeah. um, Americans to really kind of rally people behind him. I think that he wrote a nice wave post-Obama, um, but I think that he's said and done too many things that I, I don't think, I don't see how he is going to win over the people who are like on the fence mm. with Trump uh, mm. and with Bernie. I don't know enough about Bernie. I, th- I would love a Bernie Warren ticket, but again, I feel like they are so progressive and so liberal mm. that winning over the kind of middle ground people who go, don't really know what to do and don't like pick up a you know proper newspaper and, and read about them we'll just go ah, and then go for trump i don't know right. i feel like uh well isn't it pretty much set in stone that biden is going to be the candidate now? yeah did um, he win michigan i think yeah so he but the my concern is not less is not so much that my uh, i mean i know that biden has made many missteps and bad actions and um, but it's more that I just think that he's he's doddering and yeah. uh, mm. he can't he can't mm. really speak. His brain doesn't seem to be working that well anymore. Um, I do think I, I disagree with you, Kate, in terms of bringing over some Trump former Trump people, because I think there are people who voted Trump in who now realize the error of their yeah, way. No, that's a fair point. And they're like, well, mm. l- this guy seems like another old white guy that yeah. I'd be comfortable going with. Yeah, maybe so, a sort of a grandfatherly type who says occasionally outrageous things and misspeaks and yeah. Yeah, he's, Maybe that's what the, he oh, I recognize this. <laughs> yes, yeah. the scary yeah, version, right. of the orange one. My my, <laughs> my only thought, yeah, like the more pasty version of the kooky granddad, the granddad that you don't fight to not sit next to at Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, but I, my only hope for Biden or or like the, you know, the plus is that if he brings on a, a VP candidate. Who is uh, you know it's like Stacey Abrams? Oh, or, I love her. I love yeah. her so much. Yeah, somebody really you know, young mm-hmm. black woman. Then I'm thinking, well, okay, maybe maybe if he runs out the clock and dies in office, <laughs> then we sneak in yeah. someone really good. That's something I'm really fascinated about, and it's so it's been evident for the last few years anyway in politics, but particularly in the American race right now, is that everyone's so fucking old. They're really old. Right. <laughs> yeah, so it's like they're running for both. It's mad. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Like, in a nation with dreadful, dr- universal, no universal health healthcare, really, it's yeah. miraculous, isn't it? That yeah. they're all still, they're still, still, get, still working. And yeah. I, I looked it up the other day, and the average age for a president at the beginning of their term is 55. Mm. Which feels like a good age. Yeah, yeah it does yeah. feel like a good age. Yeah. 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 Like, Not like, 75. Right? Or plus. Is that like terribly ageist for me to, com- to think that? Well, I'll, let's just turn to former, well, he's president for life, I guess, but President Jimmy Carter, who's in his 90s, who says, hey, take it from me. If I were running for president in my 80s, I would not be up to it. So, mm. And this is somebody who knows the job, who's done the job. Yeah, because it's exhausting. And it's like, I think we particularly saw that um, with Hillary Clinton's campaign, where there was that footage of her like shaking and nearly collapsing. Yes. Um, but when you, when you read, because I've only 
uh, we'll come back to this whole reading thing. I've only read half of her book. <laughs> we'll, come, uh, we'll, come, we'll come back to that. Can Kate read? Yes. Can she? <laughs> well, I can't struggle Stay to finish books. Um, but in her in her book, and it was also the audiobook that I was listening to, another strike against me, um, she was saying how grueling it is. And I think, well, I don't know if it's just me, but whenever I hear about like pop stars going on tour mm. or even authors talking about their book tours, like it sounds incredibly <gasps> physically exhausting mm. and emotionally draining and you're always on you're always shaking hands and smiling at babies and whatever the saying is yeah. like it sounds exhausting and i'm you know mid-30s i can't imagine mm. being 70 plus and having that sort of stamina i feel sure, like when a pop star goes to rehab for exhaustion everyone's like yeah 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 exhaustion mm. exhausted <laughs> from all that cocaine and i'm like no they must be so tired it's just the yeah. jet lag it's yeah, to be honest, yeah. it's working from home as well back to that that's ruined me for public consumption oh, if right. i have two meetings in a day i have to lie down for about oh, yeah. eight hours me too same okay, <laughs> <laughs> i'm yeah. convinced that i'm just i've got some weird like low level thing. Thing. yeah, yeah. Wow. i'm fatigue. just tireder than <laughs> everyone else like a victorian lady yes. just like <laughs> fainting she does have a fainting couch at the top of her stairs oh. so, you know it's true they're like oh she had a walk in the park and now she's got to take to her bed for six weeks <laughs> yeah but i mean seriously it is it is really really tiring uh I think it's again I think it comes down to stamina I think if you work at an office and you're used to just kind of like shuttling mm. from one meeting to the next clutching your laptop to your chest and then having having a meeting and, da, 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 and then you know you walk out and you do it all over again I think it's like a stamina you kind of have to build up but when I think when you work from home and you mm -hmm. don't have to do that all the time mm -hmm. you do when you do have to kind of like pop out into the real world or have a phone call with somebody it's like oh Jesus Christ it's exhausting <laughs> What do you guys think of the rumors I've been hearing that um, that Ivanka wants to run for 24? <laughs> like, I think it could happen. Okay, I, 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 there's an incredible podcast called Tabloid, the story of Ivanka Trump. It's like an eight-part series. I've listened to all of it in oh, like a day. Oh, I need day. to hear that. That sounds good. I, I find her, like, fascinating. Um, but this, like, the, the Kennedys see themselves, the Trump sees themselves as the Kennedys and Ivanka sees herself as JFK. Of being like, she, wow. like, the, like, Papa Kennedy was quite a crass, weird ballistic yeah. guys as well and she's like no I, this is going to be the the battering ram that gets us in and i will be the soothing yeah. blanket that she, goes over it i would say she has ideas above her station i'm just at uh, <laughs> yeah no totally at, totally at this moment well, does that not remind us of someone in her <laughs> yeah. family yes well you know um i do have a a, a little tidbit uh, hearkening back to our uh bitchy gossip segment i'm gonna, <laughs> gonna throw that this one in there um in fact this came from via sally hughes who had a conversation with um, uh, somebody in the beauty industry who, who runs her own line and, in fact, had gone to the posh private high school attended by the Trump kids. Oh, choked. And uh, <laughs> so the Trump, apparently, I just love this, that the Trump brothers, Eric and Don Jr., were collectively referred to as the meatheads. <laughs> and then I said, oh, what was Ivanka referred to? And she was just the cunt. <laughs> So so the and the idea being that like well you know she's not a meathead like she is smart but you know, she's not she? that smart though. Yeah, like yeah. she's a, like she's a little Conte smart. Contextually, like all, she's she good do. at articulate smart. It, you know yeah. Interesting though, isn't it that when we talk about sort of women in the public eye and the mm. way we talk about them and the damage we do, I could absolutely, absolutely be wrong about this, but I feel as she seems. I mean, my goodness, all humans are vulnerable, but. I don't get the impression somehow that it's as the conversations sort of around her and about her are as toxic or as damaging to her as they are about the other women we've talked about. Yeah, today. I agree. Yeah, 
agree. Yeah. What do you think that is? What does she do? Like, she, she, but genuinely, like, what does she do? Like, I know she had like a a line of shoes or something. She, that there's a lot of Ivanka Trump clothes at my local GK Maxx, oh, yes. which if she does run for president, I'm like, really? I should invest. <laughs> Get those on eBay. <laughs> she, I would say that um, she has an interesting, she is very Teflon-y, much like uh, Jared Kushner. And they both have that um grandiose idea of themselves as being competent at things where you know mm. they're kind of just doing nothing but I, I think basically in answer to the question she's sort of just a surrogate she's like the presentable face of her father what have you learned in this podcast like w- like what does like what does she think like makes her qualified to be in in politics other than her dad being who he is i find it fascinating because i when i when i see anything about her i'm just like i, I don't give her a second thought it's, 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 she's, I think she's a fascinating character because what's weird about her, the weirdest thing about her is that she used to be cool. Like, <laughs> in her early 20s, she took a Patagonia tent to Chile and hiked by herself for three weeks. What? Like, that's a real story that her I friends tell. I went to university with those people and they're not cool. Come on. <laughs> but if, if anybody I knew did that, I'd be like, that's a pretty cool yeah. thing to do. Like, she has apparently very interesting, cool friends. She buys interesting art. Like, there's like a... I think she's um, essentially her father in a kind of a bougie goop rapping, which <laughs> that's a beautiful description. It might have been a different. I can't remember if it was Ivanka or Tiffany, but the story about in the modelling days, and she'd always bring her own music oh, with Tiffany her. And I think it was. Um, oh, um, I know it's. A- I think it's Virtual Insanity by Jamiroquai, or it might have been another Jamiroquai song, but that's the only song she liked, and it was just that on a loop, and she'd just sing it to herself over oh, and over. Oh, man, I wish I had that song to play next, but sadly <laughs> I don't. Um, we'll talk more about cool travel uh, in just a sec. <laughs> cool travel. <laughs> we can't cool do travel. it anymore. Yeah, we're going to play an oldie. This is Dreams by the Cranberries. Hello and welcome back. I am Kate Sevilla filling in for Sally Hughes this month and I am joined by the wonderful Katie Puckrick, Daisy Buchanan and Caroline O'Donoghue, uh, award-winning podcaster. <laughs> We're Thank just going to keep bringing Woo! that up because it's wonderful. <laughs> so you won Podcaster of the Year at the London Book Fair, is that right? Yes, I did, which was cancelled due was to cancelled. the coronavirus. <laughs> yes. So I, I what I got was an email with a JPEG that said, winner. <laughs> <laughs> But would you have to go like on stage and do like an awkward acceptance speech otherwise? Uh, presumably, yeah, oh. but you know. Well, I hope that still happens. They should just maybe do like a live stream or something and then just have you kind of awkwardly go on stage and have, <laughs> yeah. recreate the whole moment. You can work from home even while accepting your <laughs> your award. Yes. yes, I wish that they would like record an acceptance Ooh, speech from you oh, and then project it on a wall in the office. ultimate in working from home, it's getting so an award is. from home. It's like the, when we were kids, we used to watch the, um, the VMAs and like Usher yes. would never be arsed going to the VMAs. So yeah. he'd just be like there being like, thanks, guys. Yeah, yeah. or they'd send up like their mate and they'd be like, uh, Usher couldn't be here he's really excited thank you jesus and then would walk away um real fast back on that elizabeth warren story i remember this particularly interesting story in that that was linked to from the atlantic story that talked about god bless you are we safe do we need we right right into my album like, perfect doing that little thing perfect mm. um within that atlantic article it brought to my attention this term called liz lemoning which yes. i i mean firstly 
I have never seen Thirty Rock. Just throw what? it. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would assumed it would I'm have been a, like a, a real yeah. ingredient to your personality. I've not seen a single wow. episode. Well, I've, you're in for a treat. Yeah. I, I can't treat. wait. I, mean, I feel I, like I, I feel when I found out Caroline does not like Broad City. Oh, I hate that show. I've and only I'm seen a few episodes. <laughs> I've only seen a couple of episodes. I've never and I kind of went, ah. I think I hadn't smoked weed at that point, so yeah. I didn't really get it. I might get it now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right now, no. But with this term, Liz Lemoning, uh, it was basically saying that there's this kind of thing that really uh, high achieving, very capable, usually white women do, which is, sure, I have a master's degree and I'm a CEO at this company, but oh my God, I'm a hot mess. I mm. eat cheese mm. at 10 p.m. What am I like? And mm-hmm. I was like, it didn't really sit right to me, actually. Right. I was like, Is that real, though? Because I, I can't relate to that, actually. No. I just like being competent and being a person and if i'm good at something i'm not scared to demonstrate that i am adept i think i used to do a lot of liz lemoning and i've grown (laughs) out of it um why do you think you did well because i think it's you know all the messages we get as women are nobody wants to hear that you like yourself and you're comfortable with yourself you just won an award at the london book fair yeah oh you're so right about that (laughs) boo boo (laughs) I was um, a mess, really. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't even know is, I got here. I think that we talk, this is how we can make ourselves sort of palatable. To, and I yep. think as well about in in Thirty Rock and the way you know that you know Tina Fey is gorgeous and smart and you know brilliant and sort of fabulous to watch. And but she you know so many comments about her sort of you know her schlubbiness and her. I mean, often it's coming what, from she Jack wears Donahue. glasses like. Um, She's just not like a sharp dresser. She doesn't, that's not an interest of hers. But it's partly as well, you know, the Alec Baldwin character who delivers the line. It's a joke about um, him making Liz Lemon write an award speech for him. And, um, you know, a deadline that seems to be imminent, but is actually in about a year's time. And (laughs) But you're wearing a tux. It's gone six. I'm not a farmer. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm going to defend Liz Lemon because I've seen a lot of, I've seen this term a lot online now and I've seen a lot of hate retroactively for Liz Lemon. And I think the beauty of that character to me was that, yes, she she was a woman who was the head writer of this writer's room, which was based on SNL, which called... Uh, TGS with Tracy Morgan, the girly show, the girly show, um, and 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 the whole con- the 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 wonder and the fun of it was that you had this highly capable, smartest person in the room mm. who was forever just being dicked on by the dumbest people in the room, mm. and that was the comedy it of wasn't it, you know. As if- any of her writers were different. You know, she yeah, was one of them. Yeah. They were all super schlubby. And I think the other part of it is, and this is a really complicated thing because I think about it a lot. Um, Because I think it's really, really easy for me to say this as a white woman. And I know that the more privilege you have, the easier it is to kind of phone it in and defend your right to phone it in. But Mm. I love a lady slacker. I truly, truly do. I Mm. want more of that. How do you define a lady slacker? Um, And Liz Lemon, I guess, really, really wasn't because she had this like insanely great job. But I suppose the slacker being, the part being you don't have to be absolutely polished on your front there are bits where you can just kind of you know let it slide and it's a person's right to be be schlubby sort of to eat what they want and live how they like and not be um did you in um trick mirror uh gia tolentino's brilliant essay on um optimization is that I haven't finished it yet. I don't know. But it's about... <laughs> Can Kate we'll read? <laughs> hey, it's one of the first essays in the book. Yeah. I was like... Um, 
But it's about how now there is this pressure on women. Like every single thing we do is, you know, premiumized. Which yes, is I have not read the real words. Exactly. Um, Always on. And we, yeah, we can't just go and do our jobs and then just, you know, put our heads in a bag of Doritos. We're like, all our hobbies have to be, you know, spin. And we can't even get our sweat clothes sweaty. They have it's to be really wellness. It's meant beautiful. To be wellness. And yeah. yes, that's all. And I think that the, you know, Liz Lemon being a sort of highly talented and competent slacker, it's sort of, it might be the antidote to optimization and mm. wellness. I think all of these are um, interesting yet separate uh, subjects because um, I'm all for, I agree with you that, you know, the, the character Liz Lemon um, and, and the fact that on 30 Rock and the fact that she is a high achiever but allowed to be a human being mm. and allowed to be, uh, you know, a dick sometimes and um, slobby and not perfect, that's all fine. But the other thing that you're talking about, the Liz Lemoning, that is slightly different where we as women or some women feel the need or they feel like they're being told that they have to hide their light under a bushel and to affect mm. a sort of wacky, yeah. mm. kooky, it down, self-deprecating. Yeah, self-deprecating. So I think those are two different things. So I yeah. think it, it is empowering to have that character, the Liz Lemon character, where you're like, yeah, she's just like a real person. She's got some good points and some bad points, just like anyone. So I think that's a, an interesting yeah. thing. I think I think you're right. It is too. And I think that's perhaps what kind of bothered me about this piece was that it seemed a bit confused and a, mm. and a little bit mm. bitchy. Um, I, I won't name well, the writer the to slag them off, it's but the... there's a quote from it that says, that to be visible in the world as a high achieving creative woman, you'd best be a little bit of a fuck up. And I, I do agree with that. But I think, again, it is it is two different things i think one uh characters like liz lemon um i'm like is that her name haven't seen the show um <laughs> are it people liked it because it's a real person a real kind of multi-dimensional human being who can go to work and be very you know highly competent um and then be a bit of a fuck up at home and that's okay and that i mean that's something that i kind of had to reckon with myself that okay why is it at work that i'm super competent and capable and then i come home and <laughs> my house is a fucking mess and i haven't remembered to book this appointment and i haven't done this i don't apply the same sort of rigor to my professional life as i do my mm. personal life i'm already in therapy guys it's fine working <laughs> on it um but i think there's kind of that that people that women like to see kind of reflected back that, okay, we don't have to be at a fucking 10 in every different aspect of our lives. But then there's this other thing of where sometimes personally we feel like Daisy, you were saying that you kind of have to dim your shine a bit or mm. kind of emphasize, Oh, but I'm, I'm a fuck up too. And in, in this sense, and kind of maybe put it on a bit. I don't Please know. Please don't be threatened by me. Yes, I exactly. Think, I think that's Blame a really good way of putting it. Cause I definitely used to do that a lot more when I was younger. And that yeah. thing of like going to a party and, um, uh, exposing yourself really early on, like mm. like going just you know catching someone by the hand, and being like, "Excuse me, I have thrush." <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Do you know what I mean? And what that was, it's the same thing. I see my dog do it all the time, which is she just like very meets, articulate meets <laughs> a bigger dog in the park, and she just rolls onto her belly, and she's like, "You don't have to worry about me." Yeah. And what I'm doing, and what she's doing, and what I'm doing is the same thing, which is like I'm looking for a shorthand to get closer to that person as quickly as possible yeah. because <laughs> I don't really know why. I, yeah. I think if, if we both expose ourselves to one another we'll just become best friends and well, not have to worry about small talk but yeah. I do think 
in the West, I think there's a lot about, not all of it at all, but there are parts of the, the, the body positivity movement, which is a great, great thing. But um, that we've been told that, you know, be like this. I hate your body, feel bad about this, feel awkward about this, you're a woman, stuff is wrong with you, make it better. And now this about term, which is like, it's, you know, Nelson's like, why are you hitting yourself? You know, why, why do you hate this thing we've told you to hate? Why are you outing yourself as a fuck up when we've told you that's what we needed you to do? It's, I think there's kind of a lack of compassion in complaining about Liz Lemoning. And I think it would behoove or behove us all to think very carefully about where it comes from and address the fact that I think we all do it to some Mm. degree and I think that while women perhaps are encouraged to do it and we have more examples of that I definitely I know men who you know feel obliged to do it who are very anxious and nervous about owning their achievements and and owning their space Mm. it's that self-deprecation thing too Mm. it's very British I, so I, British, I say, no. isn't it? I'm not, so I don't know. Oh um, my gosh! I, I mean, I'm just going to weigh in here with a couple of things that come to mind during this conversation, which is just in professional. You know, forget you know confessing to your thrush situation at a party. <laughs> um, in professional capacity, i.e., job interviews, um, where it's you know the idea that you need to present what your skills are. Um, uh, you know, that's first and foremost. And I've been in. Uh, actually, just the other week, I was uh, I went to a meeting uh, to talk about a potential copywriting job, and mm-hmm. we were discussing. Was talking with the owner of this website about the tone that he was looking for, and um, I was talking about you know this product, which is it can be treated in the industry in a very formal. Um, kind of flowery way or it, it, but it seemed that what he was looking for was kind of a more casual vernacular approach and so he was saying things like well you know he was showing me examples of what the website looked like and it was quite funny it was quite casual and mm. so I went on to say well that's my that's definitely my my style in my writing is you know it's it's more warm it's witty and then he interjected humble Oh. oh, and I was so brought wow. up short Wait, because I was so weird and so believable. It, it was just so. <laughs> I'm odd not shocked because, like, there I was saying, you know, identifying an aspect of, you know, oh, this thing is funny and vernacular, and, and then I'm saying, and these are the qualities in my writing that I would bring, and it was so. It was just such an odd moment. How did you respond? Bind? Yeah, what'd you say? Uh, you punched him, didn't you? I. <laughs> stopped like he could see that I was brought up short but I I think I said I tried to keep the defensive edge out of my voice but I said well we're talking about the tone that you're looking for for your website mm-hmm. and I presume and I'm it's telling you that I can do it <laughs> which Very is surely strange. the point of this fucking mm-hmm. meeting and, <laughs> and then cir- circling back to our um, our our mentor seemingly for this uh, whole conversation Piers Morgan the very <laughs> the very first uh, interview that I was booked to do when I first got a job on television for this show on Channel 4 called The Word back in the 90s he took me to lunch at the Ivy and I think at the time he was maybe the entertainment editor at the Mirror? I'm, I can't Yeah, he was the editor eventually. So Yeah, yeah. so he was the entertainment editor at the time. So that's why he was talking to me. So, you know, he's. I came to realize afterward that he was looking for an angle to find something bitchy to write about me or to trick me into saying something bitchy about my mm. my co-presenter who was a woman. Um, and the anyway, one of the things he asked was, why do you think you got this job? And I said, well... <laughs> what? 
Yeah. Why do you think you got this job? And so I said, well, I guess I was the best. You know, like they just wanted yeah. the best person. Just a fact. Um, they wanted, you know, I, and so I'm thinking, so I was like, oh, what, yeah, what, what were they looking for? I said, well, I, um, I'm pretty confident. I can think on my feet. I've traveled all over the world. You know, I grew up all over the world, so I'm used to meeting new people all the time. And then he said, um, he said, have you always been this arrogant? <laughs> Wow. So I said, I'm just answering your question. I don't know what to do. Pot calling the kettle dirty bottom. Yeah. I love that. I love that. But I, I just felt like maybe this is a British thing. I don't know. I, th- I think it's an asshole man thing. <laughs> I think it's, I mean, I think that British culture, there is this sort of self-deprecation to it and you can be successful, but not that successful. And they it really like, like to kind of keep people who are doing really well down, i.e. Meghan Markle, etc., etc. Pretty right. much every woman in the press at the moment. Um, but I love that in a particular, in a professional situation yeah. where someone is going, can you do this job? The whole point of this meeting is for you to show me that you are capable of doing this job. Yes. And then Piers Morgan asking you, why do you think that you got this job? Which is an asshole question anyway. Yeah. But like... The fact that they they create this double bind in which they set you up to explain why you're good at something, and Mm -hmm. then you literally Mm -hmm. answer the question, and then they go, "Oh, humble." Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty. You fell into the hole. I know. There's no right answer. It it is like saying, you know, you know, asking a brain surgeon, you know, Mm. would a brain surgeon be going home? Actually, I don't know why. I don't know why I'm running this department in this hospital. I don't know the difference between a scalpel and a big stick. Excuse me, can you hand that to me? Sorry, sorry to be bossy, but a scalpel. Oh, sorry, sorry. Katie, hearing you say those things, I'm like, well, of course, of course, you said that's entirely reasonable, and I. You know, love that, and I, you know, it's true confidence, and it's, it's, you know, it's Brene Brown. You are neither shrinking nor puffing up. You are standing your sacred ground. But Hmm. I would tear my skin off before I could give that answer. So constitutionally British am I? And why is that? And why can't I be more American? And how can I just have that, you know, uh, certainty in my own ability? I don't even think it's American. I think you're. I think you. I think. Speaking in stereotypes, British people are more self-deprecating and American people are more uh, confident in the way that they talk about their own abilities. But I think the way you answered that, brilliant, I probably would have said, well, I shagged my boss, so I made a joke of it, <laughs> and right. then moved on. Yeah. I would have just told him what he wanted to hear. And the page of the mirror the next day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my publicist would have fired me. Um, yeah, um, I don't have a publicist, but if I was a star in the 90s and this was happening to me, that's what would have happened. In the sort of spirit d'escalier, I'd say, well, um, I've got a team of um, killer bees that I can train on people, and I threatened the entire production <laughs> team with my bees, and that's how I got the Scene job. Scene one. <laughs> So when it happens to me, I'll have that prepared. I just realized I did the thing right there. I said something about my publicist and then I felt the need to clarify. Oh, you did do the thing. That I did not have a publicist in real time, guys. Oh, in real Back time. Back yourself, Kate. Back yourself. Jesus. Yeah. Bring this up in I therapy feel- next week. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll play another song, shall I? Let's play something uplifting. Uh, how about Lady Gaga's new song, Stupid Love? Hello, 
welcome back. That was Lady Gaga, Stupid Love. I'm Kate Sevilla, filling in for Sally Hughes, who sadly cannot be here today. And I'm joined by Caroline O'Donoghue, Daisy Buchanan, and Katie Puckrick. Um, we've been talking about everything from coronavirus to Elizabeth Warren to um, a host of a morning chat show, which we will bring up again. Um, but I wanted to talk to you guys about solo travel. Um, there was a really interesting uh, survey that came out that was talking about uh, the different cities that are like the most safe to travel to alone as a woman. Um, the most safe, number one, was Prague, and then Shanghai, New York, Vienna, Hong Kong, Delhi, Rome, Dublin, London, Istanbul. The worst was Moscow and uh, Johannesburg. <gasps> Johannesburg? Johannesburg. Which one? Oh. Come I, on, team. Jo- put it to the listeners. I'd, 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 I'd go hard J. I'd say hard J. Okay, Johannesburg. I'm like, is it Scarlett? Johansson, Johansson? Johannesburg sounds like a person. I mean, I could do a whole thing where I just mispronounce words. That would just be... Uh, I get, I hate ordering things, but this is my again. I'll bring this up in therapy. Never mind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys do? You guys do solo travel at all? Do you feel comfortable enough to do so? Can you be bothered? I can't really be bothered. I love being sent away for work by mm. myself because it forces my hand a mm. bit. But I do yes. very rarely do anything um, intrepid. And actually. I'm a little bit ashamed to admit this, but um, a few years ago I did something in Dublin and I was by myself and I thought if I was with people, I would feel obliged to do all of the things. Um, and I did. Um, later, I went with my entire family to go to see a Billy Joel concert and then we did all the things. But I just spent the entire time in Brown Thomas because I could. <laughs> and I used to work at Brown Thomas. Oh, really? Which it's beautiful bit? shop in the lingerie department. My Ooh. first ever job. Hey. It's like the... Um, the John, not John Lewis, the Selfridges of Ireland. Oh, oh, and proper, um, I don't know if I should say this, but I was thinking, working in Dublin in a lingerie department, all I can think of is the Father Ted Christmas special. And <laughs> it's the biggest women's lingerie department in Ireland, I understand. <laughs> a classic, yes. <laughs> It's very offensive that I did the accent. No, I actually love when people do Irish accents at me. I think it's delightful. (laughs) I think it's where it it reminds me of home. It's musical. You're being (laughs) sarcastic and I deserve everything. No, I like it. I do like it. But on on your solo travel thing, um, like you, I mostly do it when I'm working and then surprised at how much I enjoy it. But um, I do think of... um, uh, a year ago, my, myself and my boyfriend, we went on like a two week long holiday to Ischia, which is an island off Naples. Mm. And um, one day of that, and the whole time we had the the couples traveling experience, which is you get overcharged. Um, the waiters and the people only really talk to the man who's with you and you're kind of invisible. Of and uh, and we, had a, we had a lovely time. We get along very well. <laughs> um, and then one day, um, Gavin wasn't feeling too well, just kind of stayed indoors, really a little bit of food poisoning. Um, and I was like, oh, right, I guess just me today then. And I sort of walked around the whole island, went to the beach by myself, read by myself. And I, it was so interesting how instantly the place had been transformed. Like before it was like um, previously it was like playing bowling with the bumpers up. And now suddenly like like, um, like I was in a cafe reading and a woman came up to me and said, oh, excuse me, uh, I'm going to the bathroom. Would you mind looking after my child for a minute? And I was like, <laughs> of course. Say of course. <laughs> Absolutely. And, um, and you know, just um, having sort of random conversations a little bit more. And I think people talk a lot about the dangers of women traveling alone, but you rarely talk about the advantages, which is people trust women alone. 
you know, they also take advantage of them, but they also trust them in a way they don't trust solar men. They trust them with their children. They trust them to just strike up a conversation and nothing weird is going to happen. You know, there's yeah. a certain certainty we attach to women that's just like, oh, she's safe. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, which I love, actually. Yeah, no, that's a really interesting point. I have, I have never, I feel like in the last like two years, there's been a lot of like personal essays written about the joy of traveling alone as a woman. And I, um, I must admit, I think I live, I know, I know that I live in a very different world to that, um, being married for a long time. And I re- I've really felt it, especially when I was working from home this last year. Um, I spent the majority of my time, if I'm not at work, I'm out in public with my partner. And the world mm. treats me as such. When we go out to eat, mm. they talk to him. They're yeah. like shocked if I like put forward my card still. Like, what is that? Yeah. They always still hand get him, him the to card taste the wine. Machine. Uh, we don't order wine (laughs) but if we did I'm sure that they would Um, and I just exist in this way where everything is pretty much diverted to him I don't get catcalled because I'm with him Mm. constantly Um, I still don't when I'm by myself but that's fine Um, like I'm fine about it really Um, Liz Lemon (laughs) (laughs) fuck Um, but I don't think I would be brave enough to go in a purposeful pleasure holiday Mm. by myself it just i think i would get i think i would get scared (laughs) and i think that i honestly i think if i was in my hotel room alone i'd be like oh what was that like i think i would get quite Mm. anxious about it and that doesn't feel very feminist but hey that's that's how i feel um if i'm away for work I'm like, oh, cool, okay, going down to Brighton for work by myself. Brighton, so far. Um, <laughs> but I, I love a train journey by myself. I love getting into a hotel room alone until I actually have to turn off the lights and go to sleep. And I'm like, oh, shit. But I, I don't know. I, I find the women who who do want to go to exotic locations alone on a pleasure holiday um, f- fascinating. Like, good for you. I just, I just think I'd be too scared, to be honest. Yes. I was assaulted on a press trip and I was obviously with people the whole time but I was on my own in the room and that and I remember it's funny I sort of forget and remember when I do find myself by myself and it's you know when I'm putting the deadlock on the door I'm Mm -hmm. like oh if I'd really given this any thought would I still be here and it just sort of comes up every so often Mm. but I think that it's really complicated I don't want to you know, I want everyone to feel free and uninhibited. I honestly, I don't know that I, that's not the reason that I don't go. It is, it's a mix of laziness. Also, you know, if I'm spending a lot of money on a holiday, like I like my husband, I want to, I want to hang out (laughs) with him. You know, the chat is good. We have a nice time together. I'm not sure. The chat is good. I love that. (laughs) And I think, you know, I'm a, a woman, I don't have children I have plenty of time I do spend plenty of time by myself during the day and I um I like my own company also but yeah I think even now it's shocking that we you know you take it for granted until you don't yeah yeah I uh, yeah I feel weird about it I, w- I wish that I would just like yes I will go uh to Rome by myself not now but I'll go to Rome <laughs> by very <myself>. cheap <laughs> it would very cheap um but I don't know. Yeah, I, I have just... a hippie friend. Her name is Janet Planet. 
and uh, obsessed <laughs> with Janet Planet. And Janet Planet. Shout out to Janet Planet. Oh, for sure. She's good news. And uh, just to, to give you a little insight into her, her university was the Transcendental Meditation University in, I think it's Idaho or something. It's the one that... <laughs> I love everything about this. Uh, it's the one, it's a real thing, and Oprah somehow has some link to it, and Russell Brand and David like all Lynch. all celebrities at the moment are very into Transcendental. Into TM. Mm-hmm. So How she's... that right She's a... Uh, uh, anyway, so Janet Planet is the archetypal, intrepid, single woman traveler. Um, she goes all over the world, and I'm, you know, all I, I'm on, I'm a broken record with her. Like, I can't believe that you do all this. I'm just so in awe of you, Janet Planet. So she'll, um, I'll inevitably. She does sound like your imaginary friend. <laughs> My traveling friend from a meditation did, school, uh, Janet. Planet. Did you meet her while doing transcendental meditation? No, that's not my oh, style. Planes. No, yeah, that's right. She, uh, no, I, I just know her from way back. She's from my hometown, and, and she and I both bumped into each other when we were both living in Los Angeles, which is her home base. But she is a, a child of the world, child of the planet. And uh, she does, uh, so I'll see her when she's passing through London once or twice a year, but invariably she's on her way to a retreat uh, somewhere in Tuscany, after which she's going to pop up to Berlin where there's a house party and she'll be staying the weekend in some estate. And then, oh my goodness, there's a a music festival happening in Iceland, Reykjavik, so off she'll go there. And I just keep asking the same boring questions like, what, well, how do you feel? And, but it's (laughs) like, aren't you scared? I sound like Mrs. Bennett. You're just like, (laughs) what about nervous friend? (laughs) What? Yeah, I'm very, I'm very like bougie and nervous. Like what about the, you know, the food and the, you know, different language and, um, she is just and the thing is she's actually it's not like she's totally laid back she's a very anxious person and um, which is why she is going on all of these like she's always on a quest to you know take some toad medicine which apparently is burned into your skin via some wow. sort of brutal tattoo or she's let's get Janet Planet on this show oh, you really want to for Janet Planet oh, oh I re- that's a, a, not a bad idea in fact um, anyway so that's that's my whole experience is through Janet planet's experience and she just um feels the fear and does it anyway Jeez. i love her yeah, yeah that's it. i love, love the love. fact that she's doing this despite all of her high anxiety yeah she's that got gives a lot me of anxiety hope. i think sometimes when you high have anxiety yeah. indeed with the tade medicine <laughs> <laughs> i think when you have a lot of anxiety though sometimes there's a lot of um freedom that comes with putting your fate in the lap of the gods doesn't mm. it like I'm a, the most relaxed flyer ever I love flying because I just love somebody else being in charge of my life for five hours yeah you know? wow. I find that gorgeous I, I am you. so anxious before I get on the plane because everything that goes wrong is my fault when I'm on the plane nothing is my fault yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's beautiful. Right. It's beautiful. We'll have to travel together, Daisy, and we can enjoy getting to the airport three hours ahead of time together. <laughs> oh, it's my favorite. <laughs> Me too. My husband hates it. It's very stressful for us when we <laughs> go anywhere because he's like getting ready until like the last minute, but always on time inexplicably. Whereas I am like, we must get to the airport four hours ahead of time so we can have breakfast but particularly so i can be relaxed at breakfast because mm. if we're rushing through breakfast that's no way to begin a holiday i think oh, you know i love you know i think this is the sexiest place to stay in the whole world is the <laughs> airport <laughs> oh my god do you like to stay the I night before stay. is oh that like god. your ideal like we'll and stay in the premier of london i've got the perfect excuse oh, oh. interesting 
Um, let's switch gears a bit and talk about reading. So I, I alluded um, to this <laughs> not finishing of books um, a few times now on the show. Um, there was a very interesting article in Mashable written by Rachel Thomas. Is that right? I believe that's right. We'll fact check this later. We won't fact check it later. If it's not Rachel, I'm very sorry. It is Rachel, but it might be Thompson. Thompson, yes. Yes, you win. Um, <laughs> That's all I ever um, wanted. Perfect. Um, so she wrote this really interesting article talking about um, competitiveness around reading and how she feels guilty for not finishing books that she's Instagrammed. Um, and there's this other article as well that talks about this sort of um, in Refinery29 written by my favorite writer, Elizabeth Bennett. I love that Elizabeth Bennett writes about books. It's so perfect. <laughs> um, but wrote about competitiveness in reading. So, um, Caroline, you were quoted in this in this article. Yeah. And Daisy, I believe you were quoted in Rachel's. Do you want to kind of explain the sort of uh, feelings around this thing, which I suspect is a highly London bougie lady thing? Um or is it not? Well, I think it comes back to Gia Tolentino and the optimization. There's a really, really fun um, leisure activity that we love that is great and nourishing and joyous. And we found a way to ruin it for ourselves. Huh. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Think it's, I think there's a lot of things. I'm, I'm fascinated by this subject. Mm. There's a lot going on. Um, so I think, first of all, What's interesting is it comes back to the Kindle, which I think is 10 years old. Now. It was 10 years old a couple of years ago. I was writing something about it. So it's, let's say it's 15 years old. And when that happened, there was this huge panic around physical copies of books are going to vanish. Yes. And um, the book industry responded to this very well and admirably. And they said, not on our watch because we're going to make books so fucking beautiful that everyone's going right. to want them. And there was this huge spike in um, in book design and, and originality. And we see it everywhere. The kind of sprayed pages and gold inlays and cutaways. Mm, special and, editions. And different, yeah, different colours at different shops. Yeah. And like, let, let's let's make them like beautiful gifts again. And that, that was something that DVDs mm. didn't do. That yeah. CDs didn't do. And that's why say, books won. It's so, so weird, isn't it? That books is like a moral panic and like DVDs, <laughs> no one cares. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I do have a theory that... Um, it's Saturday afternoon and you want to have a little posher about the shops and you've maybe had some lunch and you want to come home with a trophy and time mm. was you would go into HMV for your potter and that trophy would be a CD or a DVD and now even though there are places where you can buy CDs and DVDs it seems like such an insane thing to do when you can get them digitally and cheaply or freely and Mm. Well, the ethics and problems of that are perhaps a discussion for another also, day. you could find HMV if you um, tried now. No. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, very close to FOP. Other outlets are available. Um, and I think it's there's been, um, you know, the book buying, mm -hmm. I think it's maybe related to that, or not related to, but could be paralleled with the vinyl resurgence that a book is still a trophy you can come mm -hmm. home with. It's something that you can It's display. a signifier about yourself and something yes. about your own credentials. And it's sort of portable and displayable in a way that you can't, you know. I mean, I think that we all did when we were, I did for sure, when I was a terrible pretentious teenager. It's like, oh, this CD that I'm inexplicably carrying around on my person. <laughs> yeah. so like, Look how cool I am. Yeah, and going into HME to look at CDs mm. you already own. Yeah. Just because, like, I have mm. this. Oh, the track Ask me about it. hasn't changed. <laughs> yeah. 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 Ask me the lyrics to track three. Ask me. The Backstreet Boys CD. Um, yeah, I mean, it's certainly nothing new, at least uh, in me, in my life, to purchase a bunch of books and then just 
mm. never finish them. And I loved Rachel's piece because it was just like, you know what? We all do it and it's fine. It's fine to Instagram a book and mm. to not have finished it. I, I think, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say, honestly, as, um, as a writer, um, <laughs> to which I cannot say without badly, badly oh doing gosh. a Carrie Bradshaw. But also, impression. oh, okay, I thought um, you were do, you were um, diminishing yourself there. Um, I was a bit. I was, okay. and there was actually. I remember this was in the Guardian a long time ago about women diminishing themselves by putting on stupid accents. <laughs> um, I'll check out the link um, because you did that with quotation marks, as if yes. you weren't entitled to say. And again, what you I do, do, for a do feel sort of queasy, but I feel very strongly um, that. And on the one hand, I should just be secure and get over myself and people are absolutely entitled to their opinion and they can share that opinion with me even if we don't know each other and I don't agree and I found it quite hurtful and harmful. But um, I'd rather someone Instagrammed a book and said, I'm really excited about reading this than Instagrammed this. I, like, I thought this was oh, yeah. shit. And that does yeah. happen. There it are so happen. many beautiful, mm. wonderful, amazing books and books are the most subjective thing in the world. And... I think it's really lovely that people are celebrating reading. Also, mm-hmm. I believe books wait for you for always. Um, they do. I said to Rachel for this piece, um, I was just on another podcast with Caroline mm-hmm. about the, the Women's Prize. Um, we read How to Be Both by Ali Smith. When that won the prize in 2015, I tried to read it and I couldn't read it. It's on and my book stand. Guess was, what? Not finished it. Well, I was just like, oh God, this is, there's nothing for me here. There's no mm-hmm. anchor. This is, I can't, really can't make myself do this and I gave up and I felt foolish and I felt a little bit um defensive because of, this, is, this is literature and I failed at literature but you know it's like um Homer Simpson fighting at a baseball game be like you think you're better than me a book do you <laughs> so five years later older and wiser I had another go at how to be both and I loved it so much oh, and I found so much in it and it transported me and it's so beautiful and playful and funny and sad and Honestly, I think that we, I I don't think that anyone who starts a book has ever completely, completely given up on that book unless they throw it out the window. If it's just and, a case of not just, finding if it's, time. If you find it offensive or you just don't like the tone of it, you don't have to finish it. I just two days ago finished reading Pride and Prejudice for the first time. And because I, I started it probably 20 years ago. Couldn't couldn't get on with it. Didn't get it. Uh, I tried reading Pride, Prejudice and Zombies. I think I maybe finished that, although I can't remember. Um, but yeah, I think bo- books do wait for you. And I, I feel really strongly about um, adaptations and how useful they are. Mm. And because I think that I was able to follow the book so much better because I could picture the characters and I could kind of oh, okay, this is what's happening right now. And I read, I listened to the audiobook of Emma before I went and saw the film and was like, Okay, yeah, and it just it just kind of brought everything together, and I think that people can be quite quite snobby about that. But it's like Caroline, your your podcast, um, mm. Sentimental Garbage, really is about celebrating books that other people can be snobby about. Yeah, no, exactly. My my biggest theory with this really is that reading is a muscle. And um, it's it's exactly like going to the gym and that if you've never been before and you suddenly pick up this huge, heaviest weight, you're just like, oh, fuck, what is this? And then uh, throw it back down again, leave the gym, never come back. We've all been yeah. there. Yep. And um, that and for me, that can be the, the reading equivalent of that is people who maybe they read 10 books a year and they don't they're not really plugged into the reading community or anything. So they go like this one, the Booker Prize, it must be the best one. They take it out of the shelf. And let's say 
no shade to the book itself, but Milkman by Anna Burns. Wonderful book. Hard book. Like it's a, I don't feel any shame in saying it's a hard mm, I'm book. I'm not even attempted. No, I, I kind of got a few pages and I was like, this isn't for me because I, I got it. I got one sent to me. Um, but it, that book is made for people who read 10 books a month, not 10 books a year, whose muscle is taut when it comes to that, who can see the Joycey and references and enjoy them and all that kind of stuff. And that is fantastic for them. And it makes sense that it won a prize. But I think when you're looking, when you walk into a um, bookshop and you buy the thing that won the prize, you have to understand that the prize is not for you that yes. prize was not made for you it was not made for consumers and I think so many people they read they don't read enough or they, they don't read as much as they would like to mm-hmm. because they don't get sh- served these books they just go yeah. and yes. find the biggest thing the finishing of books I just want to say um I really like Milkman not for everyone but you know I I, I liked it I thought it was good um no one is judging anyone for not finishing the Fast and the Furious series it's <laughs> You know, there's no books. If you can find something you love that nourishes you in a book, in any book, that's wonderful. But it doesn't make you better than anyone. There's, um, I think, a lot about in the um, the David Bowie exhibition, and he talks about carrying around, I think it's like Baudelaire and things, mm-hmm. and sort of Sartre in his back pocket and be like, you know, because I thought that girls would think I was cool. And then <laughs> one day he was like, you got bored and you read one. It's like, it's not half bad. And I think that... <laughs> Starting your transformation externally and making it internal, there's nothing wrong with that. That if you have them as beloved, cherished objects and they eventually come to you, then that's a a wonderful thing. But I don't, you know, because, you know, exactly as, as Caroline said, if you make something inaccessible, I think there's lots of um, inverse snobbery and it's people who were perhaps made fun of for being readers when they were at school mm. were like no this is my time this is my thing and you can't yes. have it and I'm going to yes. shut you out like you shut me out when we yeah. were there's a lot of that there's yeah. a lot of that you know I'm sitting here quietly during this conversation I have nothing really to say or add but that doesn't stop me from talking right now anyway <laughs> bring um, it uh, I don't I don't experience this anxiety that you're referring to about not finishing the book. I don't have any shame about it. I, you know, time is a, a limited resource, and if it's not hitting me, I give the book away. Like sometimes people will give me books, and I'll flip through. I'll try and read it. If it's not for me, I'm happy to give it away because I feel like I know you're making a nice, a lovely case. It's a lovely image for the, you know, the book is waiting for you. But I just feel like it's a drag and a drain on me. It's a to-do list that I'll never mm. get to. It's kind of an accusation. So I actually like to just get rid of the books. You, Marie Kondo it. Just and, get out. This yeah. is spark joy and I'll get out of my Exactly. House. And I feel like, you know, I will I could buy it for 1p, on, you know, whatever, online. Or if I really <laughs> am desperate, desperately in need of it. Um, I feel no shame at all. So I guess I'm lucky or am I missing out? I don't, I don't think you're, I don't think you're necessarily missing out i think it's what is important to you what do you want to spend your time on it's like when people are like oh i tried this netflix show and i don't really get it and yeah i'm one of those people that's like stick with it no six more episodes it starts to get really good right before it no (laughs) i i I bail out if the movie is terrible if i'm in a a cinema and i've paid that money but suddenly there's a lot of like sadistic violence i'm not going to stay and watch it will you walk out you walk out a lot uh not a lot because i normally do my research and pick a movie that i'm gonna like but um but yeah I, if I'm really bored, I, I'll leave. The yeah. one, oh god, this is so embarrassing. It's embarrassing to me now, but again for snobbish reasons. The only film I have ever walked out on, I think I was about fourteen, was the Royal Tenenbaums. <laughs> My friends and I were just like, Why? "Don't fucking get it," and but, just left. Did it wait for you? Have you have you tried? I've again? not watched it since. 
It is no. nice. Yeah. But like, yeah. it's not for a 14-year-old. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Maybe I can, I'll try it now. I, I, I like as little to happen as possible in anything. <laughs> oh. Any culture I enjoy. So That's Wes Anderson, very, very much yeah. for me. Milkman, probably, kind of yeah. for me. In that lots of things happen, but then it doesn't feel like a lot of things are happening. But, you know, again, this is... I, don't, the, I, I watch nothing. The, uh, because I... Um, because I read, I guess, the only thing I watch on TV is The Simpsons. But I watch a lot of some things I've seen 30, 40 times. Um, and that's not in any... Oh, you know, I don't watch that. Oh, God, my husband watches lots of those, like, selling suitcases that have been abandoned on baggage <laughs> carousels and selling storage locker <laughs> shows, and I kind of sure. absorb them all. But, you know, there's no, in terms of me and my cultural literacy, I've had to... I like participating in books, but I can't participate in anything else. I don't have time. And I'm not always sure I've made the best choice there. Yeah, but it, that's kind of knowing where you want to put your energy or what you enjoy. And I think that, Caroline, what you were saying about it being like a muscle, I think that that's so, so mm, important. And yeah. I wish that we talked about that more mm, because you're, yeah. you're right. Like, you're so right. Like, why would I, 20 years ago, have picked up Pride and Prejudice, not, having never even stepped foot in this country yeah. and, and connected with it? And, and no found sense it really... of the vernacular or why people I are speaking to, this way. Yeah. I, I have to say, yeah. I did read all of those books as a teenager and loved it. So I don't yeah. know. It, but again, it's just one of those things. If it kind of hits the spot, it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah, I exactly. do think it's like, any book like that where it's like this is a classic you will enjoy mm. this and also if you don't enjoy this then you're sort of you can't Obvious. be in the gang and you're lacking mm. it's really excluding and difficult and I think the books that I've loved the most are the ones where I've come with no preconceptions mm. there's a book um I had to read the Booker shortlist last year <laughs> you had for to work. Read all of them. <laughs> and I read Duck's Newburyport, yeah. uh, famously, over a thousand pages and one sentence. And Oh, no. If, oh, no. <laughs> if I hadn't had to read that, I would have given up after 200 pages. But as Caroline said, I, really, I felt the muscle kicking in. Oh. And it was the you know it was my insanity workout and I loved it by the end and it broke my heart and it made me laugh and I missed her and I thought it was just extraordinary yeah. I still think about that book and I, I, I remember thinking I can't even remember any of this because it's just so much and it's so dense and I was really really surprised that I did and that it looped and sort of sentences and phrases got stuck in my head so I think but I think as that well that, that gym analogy is perfect yeah but that, that books like that um and books like Milkman as well. They're books that um, exist to push the form, mm. to to see, to bend novels, to see what we can do mm. with it. And that's such an admirable, brilliant, beautiful thing. And they should win the prizes they win. I think the mistake happens when the sticker goes on the book. Yeah. That's when it, that's when the, the misconceptions happen. That's when people start picking things up off W.H. Smith's shelf and like, this one's, um, I can do this. And then they're like, I'm an won a prize. So. I won a prize. Yeah. yeah. A prize is not an estimation of overall mm. goodness. It's of achievement. Or suitability. Or suitability, exactly, mm, yeah. 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 I was on Caroline's podcast talking about a book I adore, The Undomestic Goddess by Sophie Kinsella. And some another book that I read reminded me a little bit of it lately, like that sort of, oh, I see they were trying to do this. And that book, the series of events are sort of not especially remarkable, but it's the telling of them and it's her observation and just the funniness of it and she's so specific and inventive and I think there are just so many 
reader, a reader who would pick up something with a book of sticker and hate it would also be like, oh, no, Sophie can tell her. No, no, no. And she <laughs> is just so, so, so smart yeah. and sharp. And you, I don't think you can write good comedy unless you are clever as fuck and mm. she nails it and there are so many brilliant brilliant writers doing it women especially who are just dismissed the whole time you know mm. the new marion keys uh mm. grown-ups mm -hmm. it's magnificent and if she had been i don't know marlin keys mm -hmm. it'd be like oh this is a you know Marlon sensitive because <laughs> that's the, that's the name right this yeah. is devastating and you know, eviscerating portrayal of sort of 21st century family life. And it yeah. doesn't hurt her sales, but it does mean that she is not regarded as she should be, I believe, in the literary canon because she's a woman and she's incredibly funny. And Weirdly, she writes I think she is now. I think she's, yeah. As of grown-ups, she's become very respectable. I think, that, and same with Julie Cooper. I think when you hang mm. on for 20 years, <laughs> people eventually see you as part of the furniture and go, all right, you're in the club, get in. Yeah. Um, but I think what's actually fascinating, what you just brought up there and is a, a subsection of literature conversation that I love, is um, the way male and female writing is... is um, described oh yes i think for women it's um whip smart and yeah. um, it's all these like coy little sexy words and um bridget jones but make it millennial yeah. bridget jones but yes make exactly it rose gold yeah okay. <laughs> rose gold. whereas uh, you see jacket covers on men's writing and it's like a meditation mm. on our problems today positively yeah. just three <laughs> just like three word reviews yeah uh, superb yeah <laughs> Caroline's mic keeps floating. Devastating and possessed. urgent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A like coronavirus. Oh, God. Oh, God. Um, right, we have, we have about nine-ish minutes left. And teeth. I <laughs> oh, God, we were going to talk about teeth. Oh, but no. also I want to talk about the work that you ladies are all doing. Um, so I have a, a copy of Caroline's next book coming out, Scenes of a Graphic Nature. We will have to bring you on to talk about that properly. Closer to publication time as publicists so wish I've learned um, <laughs> but you have this book coming out when is it published uh, June 18th I believe how exciting it's very exciting how, how are you feeling at the moment with the proof copies kind of going out into the world um, well my instinct right now is to just hurl my body across the table grab you by the shoulder and be like what do you think <laughs> what do you think Kate tell me what you think um I'm on chapter two. Good. I have it. When I first arrived, I was like, brilliant. I have work to avoid. <laughs> I'm going to read this. Excellent. Because your first book, uh, Promising Young Women. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Um, I missed a tube stop and was late for a meeting reading that book. Oh, wow. True story. That's the only time I've ever done Thank that. You. Um, so, I mean, hilariously, it was with, I'll tell you who it was with later. Off air. Okay. Um, but I'm very, very excited for this book. So I, I'm sure that people will love it because so far it's really really funny oh and i can tell you. it's gonna f be fucking devastating oh and, uh, yeah my heart out. i hope so i'm so excited <laughs> i've got my proof in my bag and promising young women it was just a story with the most amazing amazing undertow and at first it was you know it was whip smart it was funny it was really <laughs> you know like a beautiful it was like um initially promising young women the first few chapters it's like um having a souffle at what's that amazing restaurant that does the Bakewell tarts, not the Ivy, but we can say the Ivy to us. Sure. Sort of, yes. You know, like a proper kind of 
establishment white tablecloth restaurant and then suddenly it goes demented and you're sort of in a disco <laughs> aquarium a disco aquarium <laughs> doom <laughs> Thank you. And oh, you do, it's one of those books that you look up from, and you're really, really shocked to see that you're you're back in the room, you know. So yeah. I am. Oh, so I'm thank addicted you. to Caroline's writing, and thank I'm you really, both of you. That's like, can so I, wonderful. Can I leave now and go and, <laughs> yeah. write, and read and, this? And there book. she goes. Yes. Um, you'll steal my proof card. You have your own, of course. You'll read it. It's fine. Nice. Um, so you have that book happening. You have your podcast, Sentimental yes, Garbage. Sentimental Garbage. And then, if you're into magical young adult fiction, I've got that. Co- um, uh, All Our Hidden Gifts is coming out with Walker in early 21. Amazing. So it's a busy Wonderful. time. A busy, it is a busy time. A constant just knot in the pit of my stomach at all times. Yeah, brilliant. I know when anyone gets like multiple book deals, I'm like, oh God, they have so long to just feel anxious. <laughs> <laughs> so long. And I think as well, what, what, what sort of, I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful time to be an author because you're so in yes. control of um, who you can push your books on and that's a wonderful thing. But the, the flip side of that is that um, you all your worries... Um, that were internal, like what if I'm not good enough, become external in that Goodreads will give you a number. People on Twitter will just mm. be asses. And so it's that constant fear of what's going to happen that can yeah. be quite, um, you kind of, you have to cut the tail off every morning, really. Yeah. And Daisy, The Sisterhood just came out in paperback. That is right. Am I right that it will be available in France? Uh, <laughs> did I make that <laughs> up? Um, How to Be a Grown Up, the book before that, yes. is coming out in France Yay. at some point this year. Ooh, um, I'm not sure what it's going to be called in French, but I'm very excited to, to learn that. <laughs> That'll be um, so exciting. My filthy fiction, my first novel, Insatiable, yes. is out next spring. And I've just announced that after having to keep the secret for a while. Oh, I'm and, so excited to read that. And I'm so, so It was happy a hotly contested that, auction, um, is well, what the press release said. And which I, I loved. I've got a year before I need to um, think although I'm supposed to be um, doing very very early proofs um, next month which I'm a bit about but I'm just like la 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 we might not even be here in 2021 Um, (laughs) it might get got by the virus and uh, we've just finished a series of your book to my author podcast where I go to the that was a mega um, series but work you put into that podcast I am so in awe of I'm so fucking lazy by comparison uh, we went all the way to America um, and we had a really lovely series. We began with John Waters in Baltimore. As one does, and, just um, super casual. Just John he's Waters. a real um, collector of books. I don't know that he reads them all. He'd be very angry if he found out that I said that. And um, we've just ended with Isabel Allende, our series finale person who is my god that woman's got a sexy voice not to objectify her. Um, <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. I'm sure anyone would love to hear that they have a sexy voice. And Katie... I'm just sort of generally gestating and masticating. <laughs> um, there's no no projects on the horizon, but, you know, the elves are in Santa's workshop, always beavering away. So watch this space. I love the idea of beavers in, yeah. <laughs> in Santa's workshop. There's, just... there, there's beavers, there's elves, there's uh, masticating. It's all, it's all going down. The Wonder- beavers are scabs because <laughs> the elves are on strike. Like it's sort of 80s, 90s puppet show about slightly creepy beavers. They made Ooh. that up. There was the very angry beavers on Nickelodeon. Pre-angry beavers. I'm, I'm an old lady, Caroline. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. And on that I note... I do remember the <laughs> On that note, thank you all so much for joining. Um, I'm going to play some Harry Styles to play. Beautiful. So.